You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Again, good to see everyone. Psalm chapter 42 is where we are going to start. Going to read a lot of scripture today. Psalm 42, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll read down to verse 5. As a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God? For I shall again praise Him, my salvation. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I recognize as, as people walk into this room that many of us walk in here heavy laden. We walk in here anxious, stressed out, burnt out. Um, and we desperately need for you, Holy Spirit, to take the teaching from this word this morning and to drive it into our hearts. We long to have our anxiety replaced with peace and our depression and deep, deep sorrow replaced with an unshakable joy. And we know that only you can do that. So I pray that in a very sensitive subject, like we're going to tackle in the next three weeks, um, I am a flawed man. And so I pray that if there's any areas that I push too hard, that you would soften that. Or if there's areas where I need to push harder, that you would drive that deeper. But I do pray that we will all leave here today encouraged by the great love that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Some people wake up happy. And other people wake up sad. For some people, the glass is always half full. And for others, the glass is half empty. For some of you in the room today... The sun is always shining, the pretty birds are always singing, while for others it's always raining, and the only birds that you see are ravens and owls and crows. For some of you, your imagination has grown dark, you find yourself nervous, uptight, stressed out to the point that even the most ordinary of responsibilities feel like an overwhelming burden. And if that's where you are this morning, I want you to know you're in good company. That I too can relate with you for a good chunk of my life. When I was in first grade, after going to doctor after doctor after doctor, it was discovered that I had three ulcers that were the product of anxiety in my life. In fourth grade, I was regularly meeting with a therapist. And by fifth grade, I was experiencing full-blown paranoia and panic attacks. To the point that even the most ordinary things that a kid should be able to do, things like hanging out with his friend, spending the night with a buddy, or going to school became an impossible task for me. And I wish that I could say that upon choosing to follow Jesus 15 years ago that all of my anxiety and depression went away. 
But as my wife can tell you, I'm still very much a work in progress. There are still times where I feel nervous and uptight moments where I am cynical and melancholy. And therefore, in some ways, when it comes to anxiety and depression, I am not where I want to be, at least not yet. But in many ways, praise be to God, I am nowhere close to where I used to be. And though I have not arrived, I have been set free from the bondage that used to enslave me. And what I want you to know this morning is because Jesus Christ is back from the dead, no matter who you are or where you come from, the same can be true of you. And my hope is that in this series, you will discover exactly how that is possible. But before we actually begin on this journey in three weeks, I want to make something very clear to you that you may not know. I am not a doctor. Um, I am not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm simply a follower of Jesus who has encountered anxiety and depression myself, however, despite encountering anxiety and depression, have been able to find more joy and peace than I ever thought was possible in my life. And this series basically is birthed out of my own journey, and what I want to be able to teach you is what I have been learning especially over the last three or four years around the idea of anxiety and depression. And if you were here this morning, one of the first things I want you to know, if you were here and you are yourself struggling and you're anxious and you're depressed, the first thing I want you to know that is so important is this. You are not alone. You are not alone. I was reading some statistics this past week and I came across these. According to the IMS health report, antidepressants have become the second highest volume drug in the U.S. next only to cholesterol medications. In 2017 alone, Americans spent $12 billion on antidepressants. Despite all of the medicine that we're putting into our body to try to cheer us up, last year there were 45,000 suicides That is not suicide attempts. There were far more suicide attempts. That was actual suicides. That comes out to 123 suicides per day, which is a 25% increase in the last decade. According to the ADAA, anxiety disorders are now the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults and costing the U.S. $42 billion a year in medication or health care services. There are more statistics that I could share, but clearly... We are right now in the United States when it comes to anxiety and depression experiencing an epidemic. And do not think for one moment that followers of Christ are immune to this because we actually did a survey within our own church. It was an anonymous survey. I think over 90 people participated in it. And here are the results that we found just from our fellowship family around anxiety and depression. According to the results, 50% of you experience anxiety on a daily basis. So you look around one and two people feel anxious every single day. 76% of you either currently are or have at one point battled depression. 59% have taken antidepressants or sedatives, and 28% are still to this day currently taking medication for your anxiety and depression. That means if you look in this room, more than one in every four people that you are sitting around are on medication for anxiety and depression. Again, you are not alone. We see anxiety and depression all throughout our society. We see it in the church, and we even see men and women dealing with it in the scriptures. I think about Job, for example, or if you're new to the Bible, Job. (laughs) 
who was a man blessed by God. He was faithful and he was obedient. He walked with God. He was well off. He had a family and all of that good stuff. And yet one day, despite his faithfulness and obedience, tragedy strikes, his family, his business, his health, his wealth, everything is taken away. He's basically left with nothing but kind of an annoying wife who's just like telling him, like, curse God and die. And at first, Job speaks those very famous words in Job chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We love that line. We sing that line. Anybody remember Tree 63 in the 1990s? Anybody? Okay, no love for Tree 63. All right, back there in the back. Blessed be your name. Remember that? That was a huge hit, right? We love to sing about it. We love inspiring lines like this, and it's great. And we look at like, oh, Job, you're amazing. But this is just chapter 1. There's 40 other chapters in the book of Job, and the other 39 don't look exactly like this. For example, in Job chapter 30, verse 16 through 19, Job says, Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws at me takes no rest. With great force my garment is disfigured. It binds about me like a collar of my tunic. God, God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. Where's that song at in the 90s, right? You ever feel like Job? Tragedy strikes. You lose your job. You get the bad news. Life punches you in the gut. And at first, you say all the right things. But then time wears you down. Days become weeks. Weeks become months. Months become years. The marriage isn't getting any better. Still not getting pregnant. right? Things still aren't going the way you think they should be going. And eventually, you come to a place where you actually begin to question God. If so, you are not alone. I think of Hannah who is this archetype of what a godly woman should be. And yet, whenever we are introduced to her in the book of 1 Samuel, she is barren. She is unable to have children despite her own faithfulness. And by the way, to not be able to have children in the ancient times, literally, I mean, if you were not able to have a kid, people would have looked at you and said, oh, clearly, you must be cursed by God. You must not be living right. Because if you were, God would be blessing you with kids. And so we come to chapter 1, verse 7. It says, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, that means to the temple. Look at this. Her rival, and by her rival, they mean a woman who was able to have kids and was basically throwing that in her face. Her rival provoked her until Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, right, being a fixer, like all husbands are, comes to her and says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And then Hannah probably smacked him, right? Which we don't have that in the scriptures. But does this sound familiar to anybody? You're an emotional wreck and people are coming up to you and saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you the way you are? Pull yourself together. Look on the bright side. You have me, don't you, sweetheart, right? This is what's going on with Hannah. And so the story goes on in chapter 1, verse 10. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And what's amazing is she was weeping so bitterly and so loudly and just uh, awkwardly that a priest in the temple sees her, thinks she is drunk, rebukes her for being drunk. And so she fires back in verse 15, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking, verse 16, but I have been praying out of my great anguish and grief. 
I wonder, does anybody in here feel like Hannah today? Despite you pursuing the Lord, you feel barren, like you're not getting something that you want in your life and you feel that you need. And because of your great anguish and grief, people look at you literally like you are crazy. Have you been drinking? I think about the prophet Elijah, who is fresh off a victory in Mount Carmel, where the creator God just shamed 450 prophets of Baal and turned Israel back to himself. And at first, Israel, I mean, Elijah, I mean, he is pumped. He literally takes off running from Mount Carmel all the way across the Jezreel Valley. Because, I mean, just what else do you do when you're on cloud nine? He's just like running through a field. He's just having this personal, spiritual revival. But then, you come to 1 Kings 19... And you see the following. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger of Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now you would think Elijah would be like, No man, I just saw what God can do. I'm not scared of what one woman's saying to me. But no, right off this fresh victory where he saw God do this miraculous thing, verse 3, Elijah was afraid. And so he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So it's a totally different kingdom. And he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough! Now, Lord, take my life, a.k.a. kill me, for I am no better than my father's. And then he's exhausted, so he lays down and he sleeps under a tree. Now, I'm no doctor, but here's my diagnosis. When the text says that Elijah was afraid, in this context, it means that he was experiencing anxiety. When Elijah says, I've had enough, I would say he was experiencing depression. Whenever the scripture says that he ran for his life, I would say he was experiencing paranoia. I mean, literally, he just defeated 450 men, mighty prophets. He saw God do this amazing thing, and yet now here he is literally running for an entire day because he was so scared that someone was going to take his life. And then when Elijah says to God, take my life, I would say he was on the verge of being suicidal. Anybody in here feel like Elijah? Extreme highs, extreme lows. I myself go through this. Even this past week, I got a chance to go to Nashville and meet with pastors literally from all over the world. Chuck was there. Uh, Robert uh, got a chance to go as well. Pastors from all over the world. I mean, Australia, you name it. They came to this one location and basically wanted to learn from us, Fellowship Paragold, on what we are doing. And the things they began to share were so encouraging. Like literally, these are people from all over the world who have been watching our ministry, listening to our ministry, and have even a guy from San Antonio told me even three weeks ago, someone has come to Christ because of our ministry and what we've been able to reproduce and what they've been able to take and, and basically reproduce in their own context. I mean, so super encouraging time. Got a chance to teach and encourage them, and they encouraged me. It was great, but then I come home, and I find out about marriages in our church that are falling apart. I get a kid that gets sick. My truck gets T-boned, right? It has to get towed away. I mean, I went literally from being like on cloud nine to just being like, this is enough, Lord. Like, this is enough. And if that's where you are again today, listen, you're not alone. Elijah, he's one of the greatest prophets the world has ever known. And there are some days where he's on top of the mountain, and there's other days where he literally wants to die. I think of David, who we often look at as this great man of faith who killed the giant Goliath and wrote things like this in Psalm 33. 
Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, making melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. We look at this and we're like, man, if there was an Enneagram personality test, David was clearly a seven with an eight wing. He was annoyingly happy. Everything's always phenomenal. And he had just complete courage where he's like, where's the giant? I'll take him on right now, right? Like, it's like, David's amazing. And then you read Psalms like this, also penned by David in chapter six. Lord, I am languishing. Heal me. Oh, Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, oh, Lord, how long? I am weary with my moaning. Every night, every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. He writes in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I don't know about you, but when I read David, sometimes I think of the word bipolar. One minute, top of the world. You're amazing, everybody. Let's sing. Next moment, like, oh, I'm going to die. Like, where are you, God? I wonder if any of you in here can relate with David. Times in your own life where emotionally you can say, man, I'm like a pendulum. Literally. I mean, I'm swinging every day, it feels like, from joy to despair, from faith to doubt, from trust to anxiety. If so, you're in good company. You stand with King David. And by the way, what did God say about David? He was a man after God's own heart. God chose this man to lead the entire nation of Israel, which was God's people. That's incredible. I think about Psalm 88, which is the darkest and most gothic passage in the entire Bible. And it was actually a psalm that was used as a worship song in the temple. And I just want to read this over you. Psalm 88. If I can put it on the screen. You might want to turn there and lay your eyes on this in your own Bible. Hold your spot in Psalm 42. I know this is 18 verses. But hear this. And remember guys. This is a praise and worship song. In the temple. Psalm 88. Starting in verse 1. O Lord. God of my salvation. I cry out day and night before you. Starting pretty good right. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Uh Uh-oh, he's crying. For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol, a.k.a. to the place where you are forgotten and cut off and there's nothing but silence. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your ways. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? I hope so. Because that's where I am. 
Or is your faithfulness declared and abandoned? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, I cry to you, and the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? I come to you, and I feel like you're casting me away. Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? So this has been going on a long time. I suffer your terrors, and I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. Literally, it's like I'm getting hit with wave after wave. I'm drowning here. You have even caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions, my closest friends have become darkness. I mean, this is dark. From start to at least David's like, he starts dark and he finishes like, but God's great. Not, not him in a Vezerhite. It starts dark and it ends dark. And listen again, guys, this was a worship song in the temple. Can you imagine singing this in our Sunday gathering? Darkness has become my closest friends. You have destroyed my life, oh God. I have no hope, amen. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm not even exaggerating. That's like a PG version of what's actually being said here. It's sung in the temple. And listen, guys, Psalm 88 was inspired by God. According to Paul in 2 Timothy, Psalm 88 is breathed on the pages of the Bible for you and me. Why? Because God wants us to learn how to worship and pray just like that. Why would God want us to do that? Why, why would God, the God who wants you to experience faith, trust, hope, joy, and peace, want you to pray like Psalm 88? Well, here's why. Because no matter who you are or where you come from, God knows at one time or another, we will all experience this kind of despair. We will all, at one point, I am telling you, it is coming, we will all come to the end of our rope, we will peer over the edge into the abyss, and we will wonder what in the world is coming next. And in that moment, listen, God wants you to know He is not at all afraid of your honesty in your prayers. I'm going to say that again because I think it's so important. When you are experiencing despair, when anxiety and depression and darkness are your closest friends, God wants you to know he is not afraid of your honesty in your prayers. It's so important that we get this today. I really believe one of the reasons you think and many people think prayer is so boring is because some of you don't have the guts to pray with honesty. You don't have the guts to tell God what you really feel and really think, and therefore you pray flat, benign, tepid prayers filled with Christian cliches that honestly annoy me and I think probably sadden God. And don't get me wrong, I am all for the fear of God. I am all for we need to approach God with reverence. But here's just what I want you to understand, guys. God already knows what's in your heart. You cannot hide one scrap from Him. I think about in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve sinned against God and then they hide from God or they attempt to hide from Him by putting fig leaves on their bodies, fig leaves that God created. And when God comes to them, what's the first thing He says? Where are you? 
God knows where they are, but he wants them to know where they are. Where are you? What is going on in your heart? Why does God ask that question? Because he wants them to be real. He wants them to be honest. And then once they realize what's in their hearts, rather than running from God, he wants them in their shame and their guilt and fear to run to him so that they can find true healing. And listen, the same is true for you today. God wants you to know, listen guys, that prayer is not a place for you to be good. Prayer is not a place for you to be good. Prayer is a place for you to be honest. To be honest about your pain, to be honest about your emotions, to be honest about what is going on inside of you. And that is why we have Psalm 88 breathed out by God on pages for you and me so that in your anxiety, in your depression, in all of the darkness, rather than trying to hide it, rather than trying to numb it, you can in brutal honesty cast all of your cares on the God who cares and know that whatever you cast on him, guess what? He can handle it. He can handle it. Now, for some of you, you grew up in the church, and you're really smart, and you know that you were told growing up in the church that if you just had more faith, you'd always had this big smile on your face, right? You'd be like Joe Alstein, just always smiling, right? <laughs> and I know that some of you are probably sitting there thinking like, man, Jared, that's all great, okay, yeah, some of our heroes of the faith, they all dealed with what apparently was some anxiety and depression, but these were flawed people. I mean, these were sinful folks. I mean, if we just had more faith, Pastor, if we could just be more like Jesus, then we would never experience fear and deep sorrow. Right? Wrong. Wrong. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, Jesus was a man, Jesus, a perfect, sinless man, was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We see so many examples of this in the scripture. I think of John chapter 11, whenever Jesus finds out that one of his best friends, Lazarus, has died, he goes to meet with one of the sisters of Lazarus. And in in verse 33, it says, whenever Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come also with her weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus was not a robot. Jesus himself has felt everything that you feel. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you you laid Lazarus? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, when Jesus showed up at the tomb, verse 35 says that Jesus looked at him and said, Hey, our loss is heaven's gain. Don't cry. Is that what he said? Jesus walked up to the tomb, even knowing that he was about to raise him from the dead. And it says that Jesus wept. And that doesn't just mean like he dabbled his eye with a handkerchief. That word literally means he was torn up. He was sobbing uncontrollably. Jesus was in deep emotional pain. His heart was broken. I think about Luke 22, 42 through 44, where Jesus prayed, Father, this is right before he's about to be arrested and crucified, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me. In other words, I, 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 man, I, I'm scared, I'm lonely, I, I'm hurt, I, I, don't, I really don't want to do this, I, I don't like this position that I'm in right now, God. But nevertheless, he said, not my will be done, but yours. And there, after praying that, it said, appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, verse 44, looking at this, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and he began to sweat drops of blood. Doctors will tell us there's examples of this throughout history where people literally have sweat drops of blood. It's always the cause of deep emotional and psychological stress that you are experiencing. Jesus was no stranger to emotional pain, which means then, please hear me this morning, 
What that means, and if you yourself are experiencing emotional pain, you stand with great heroes of the faith, like Job and Hannah, Elijah and David, and you also stand in the same arena with Jesus Christ himself. Which means then that Jesus today is not only able to sympathize with you, but because of the resurrection, he's also able to save you. And when I say save you, I don't just mean save you from hell in the next life. I mean he can save you from the living hell some of you are experiencing in this life. The truth is today, no matter how deep your anxiety or your sorrow may go, God's grace always goes deeper. And therefore, what that means then is you truly can, maybe not overnight, but over time, begin to see your peace replace anxiety, joy replace depression. And in the words of Jesus himself in John 10.10, you can experience the abundant life that you are longing for. You can. And that is the good news of the gospel, that you can, no matter who you are or where you come from, what your personality type or family history is, can begin to experience healing that you are right now longing to experience. But here's the deal. If you truly want to experience the healing that Jesus came to give you, if you want to experience freedom from anxiety and depression, it is, listen carefully, it is absolutely going to require a deep, below-the-surface work that few people ever really want to do. It will require from you a willingness to get underneath the hood and do the hard work of figuring out why the check engine light of anxiety and depression are going off on your dashboard. And this is where Psalm 42 comes into play. And so if you will quickly, I want you to flip back to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. And we don't know a whole lot about Psalm 42, but we do know this, that it was... A mascal, as you see there at the top, which means it wasn't just a prayer. It was also meant to be theology. So this is a bare-knuckle, straight-up prayer that gives us insight. and It's supposed to teach us how we can experience healing when it comes to our own anxiety and depression. So let's read this again. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That is not a cute text. It's not like a little deer lapping up water by a stream. That is a man dying in a desert saying, God, if you don't do something, I'm done. Verse 3, tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Huh? Where is your God? Hmm? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of the Lord with loud shouts and songs of praise and multitude, keeping festival. Well, that's David's way of saying, and I, I used to not be this way, guys. I really used to remember a day when everything was good in my life. I, the, the guy you see right now is not the guy that I used to be. Like I used to be happy, man, and feel the joy. And then look at this, verse 5. This is the question that I want to that, leave us with this morning. David asked this probing question in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? I would argue that when it comes to anxiety and depression, the psalmist question here is the question we have to ask ourselves. And it's the question, why? Why? Why are you, in the psalmist language, downcast? Why are you depressed? Why are you unhappy and mopey and melancholy? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you so uptight, nervous, anxious, torn up inside, tossing and turning? Or to put it another way, what is causing the depression and anxiety in your life? 
What deep down inside of your soul is robbing you of the peace and the hope and the life God created you to experience? What is the root that is causing anxiety and depression to crop up in your life? That is a question. Listen, guys, that is the question all of us need to be asking. And listen to me very carefully. The answer to the question will absolutely depend on what your view of anxiety and depression are. And here's what I mean by that. When it comes to anxiety and depression, there are one of two ways that people view it. One of two ways that people try to view their anxiety in order to deal with their pain and suffering. And the first view of anxiety and depression is this. Are you ready? The first view is people look at anxiety and depression as a disease. It is nothing more than a chemical imbalance in the brain, which despite being scientifically proven to be a myth, is a myth that still lives on today. These are people who would say... um, That, hey, Jared, just as you were born with a bleeding disorder because you had a deficiency in plasma inhibitors, I was born with depression because I have a deficiency in serotonin. Okay? A lot of people believe this. This is is the most popular belief in our culture today, despite the fact, and go do the research yourself, despite the fact that study after study will prove it's just not true. I met, even this past week, three therapists, not even like Christian, you know, like not trying to be like Christian therapists or give me material for a sermon, who would all say, yes, everything we've learned coming out of school, that is a full-blown myth. Nonetheless, it's a myth that lives on today. The other way to view anxiety and depression is not as a disease, and this is the way as pastors we would line up with, but anxiety and depression is a symptom. It's a symptom. And so something is wrong for sure inside of us, But it's not quite as simple as, oh, it's just a chemical imbalance. Maybe it has to do with how you're taking care of your body. Maybe it has to do with your thought life. Maybe it has to do with your habits, your rhythms, or your your, your routines, your marriage. Maybe it has to do with how you're treating your spouse or your spouse is treating you. Maybe it has to do with the loss of a loved one. Maybe it has to do with the relationship you have with your son and your daughter or your mother or your father. Maybe it has to do with trauma. Maybe it has to do with past abuse or neglect. Maybe it has to do with your diet. Maybe it has to do with your work schedule. Maybe it has to do with your agenda or idolatry. I mean, literally, the list is endless. I mean, literally, there are a thousand different things for a thousand different people. And so, yes, something is clearly wrong. Something is off kilter. Something is missing. However, please hear me. At the end of the day, according to all the research and what I think the Bible would say here, your anxiety and depression are not the real issue. Your anxiety and depression are not a disease, but rather they are the symptom of something deeper that is going on below the surface. And here's why it's so important that you get this. Because if anxiety and depression are a disease, and listen, and if you want to land there, fine. It's not like you can't be a member of our church if you disagree with me on this, okay? But if you believe anxiety and depression are a disease, then you're nothing more than a helpless victim. And you can certainly feel sorry for yourself, and you can even get mad at God if you want to, and you can go to the doctor and hope that you can find all the right medications to try to fix whatever is going on. But basically, like that's as good as it's going to get when it comes to your own anxiety and depression. But on the other hand, if anxiety and depression are a symptom, then that changes everything. Because what that means, and please hear me, what that means is if what I'm saying is true, that anxiety and depression are a symptom, yes, you may be a victim, You may be a victim of abuse and neglect. You may be a a victim of something someone has done to you that's horrific and that's causing the anxiety and depression. But, but you may also be the perpetrator. And what I mean by that is basically, look, because anxiety and depression are, in fact, we believe a symptom, 
You may be anxious and depressed, yes, because somebody has done something to you or something in nature has been done to you. But you may also be anxious and depressed because something that you have been doing to yourself. And the reason that this actually should give you encouragement is because what that means is now, rather than you being a helpless victim without hope, that you actually can, through the power of Christ, begin to change, maybe not overnight, but over time, and therefore experience the joy and the peace that you are longing for. And I want to be very clear on this. Let me just say this, okay? I am not, I am not at all saying you should not go to the doctor. We have doctors in our church, and they are fantastic. I am not saying you should not go to the doctor. I am not saying that you should not get on medicine. If you want to get on meds, fantastic. All I'm saying is don't stop there. What I'm saying to you is if you truly want to beat anxiety and depression, you need to do things like get into one of the DNA groups that we're launching in January. You need to do things like take the Enneagram, begin to go back and look at your past and try to work through how the past is affecting the present. You need to actually download our spiritual formation plans that we have designed for you and trust the process. You need to develop some healthy rhythms and habits in your life. You need to practice the spiritual disciplines. You need to get involved in community. You might need to exercise. You might need to to schedule time with Adam, who we've paid a lot of money to to get trained. He does a fantastic job at doing what he does. And then trust that over time, not overnight, guys, because we are complicated people, but over time you can begin to experience healing. Now, all that being said, and I promise you we're getting close to coming in for Elaine. Thank you for being patient today. I know it's a little longer than normal, but this really is a sensitive issue, and so I want to give it the proper time. All that being said, I get it this morning that some of you right now probably hate my guts. And I promise you I get it. Some of you feel very vulnerable Some of you feel hurt. You feel hopeless. For some of you, and please hear me, I promise you this is coming from a place of love. Some of you maybe even have looked at anxiety and depression as your identity. It's literally become a way that you get attention and empathy from others. And listen, we all want that. We we were born needing love. We were born needing acceptance. And some of you, not all of you, but some of you in here, have begun to see how whenever you're, you, you, you claim these things that it begins to shape your life and relationships and get you more love. And it's really one of the only ways that you've been able to get the love that you crave. For some of you in here, you've always viewed yourself as an innocent victim, which has allowed you maybe to blame a disease or others or possibly even God. And now I'm telling you, for some of you, not again, not all of you, but for some of you, you may not be able to do that anymore. And I get it. Like that makes you probably angry. And I know this isn't easy, but listen, guys, for some of you today this is going to be the first step towards healing for you, towards true healing. I think about little Jack, who Emily didn't, didn't tell me I could use this, but I hope it's okay. Um, better to ask for forgiveness and permission. What am I going to say next? No. Uh, yeah, little Jack, her son, broke his leg this week, and, and because Emily is such a, a great mom, she's, one of, she's our kids' director, such a great mom, she did not look at her son who broke his leg and said, let's put a Band-Aid on it, son, Right? Eh, just take some Tylenol. No, she knew that if he was going to get the help he needed, she needed to rush him to the hospital, eventually went to the Bonner, and they had to get below the surface and actually do the work of resetting that and fixing the problem. Guys, the same is true when it comes to our anxiety and depression. If you want healing, you cannot just tough this out or throw meds at it. It is not going to be enough. And again, listen, I'm not telling you, please hear me again, I am not telling you to throw your meds away. Do not do that. Do not go and throw your medication away. Some of you, if you try that, you're going to have withdrawals and you're going to sue the church. All right? So, like, don't go throw your medication away. If you want to get on medication, we are not anti-antidepressant people, are we? 
We are not anti-medication people. Sometimes it's great. It's needed. All I'm saying is if you get on the stuff, please do your research first. Get a good doctor. Get a good therapist. Read Anatomy of an Epidemic. Learn about all of the different medicines. And then if you decide to get on them, great. But don't stop treating the symptoms. Do what the psalmist said here and ask the question, why? Why am I experiencing anxiety? Why am I experiencing depression? Get below the surface. Figure out where there may be wounds and brokenness causing the anxiety and depression. And then trust you. Listen, guys, trust that Jesus will meet you in those broken places. Religion says, fix yourself. Come to Jesus all shiny and new. The gospel says, come to him as you are, in your shame, in your guilt, in your fear, in the darkness. And that's where Jesus will do his best work. He will do his best work there. Mark 2.17, Jesus said, those who are well have no need for a physician, only those who are sick. Some of you today, you're here, you're healthy, well done. Thank you for being patient. Others of you in here, not so much. Others of you, you're struggling with anxiety and depression. You're looking for hope. And in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 42.5, put your hope in God. Hope in the God of hope who came to this earth. And listen, who actually came to this earth and walked through his own sorrow and fear so that now you really can walk through yours and you can find that on the other side there is a resurrection. There is joy and there is peace. Jesus is the great physician. He wants you to visit him today in your brokenness and know that he will not just focus on treating your symptoms, but that he will do the work of getting below the surface and bringing the true healing that you are longing for and need. That being said, I am over time. Um, And here's what I want to do. Ben, go ahead and come forward if you will. I'm going to do something a little different. Um... Here's what I want to do. Would you guys, just for a moment, and I, I promise you, I'm not trying to build emotion or anything like that. Um, here's what I want to do. If you are battling anxiety or depression, which is at least one out of every four of you I know, um, If you're battling anxiety and depression, here's what I want to encourage you to do, okay? And we're going to we'll do this rather quickly. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand. If you want. If you want. You don't have to. There's no pressure here. There's no guilt. There's no shame. And by the way, look who's already standing. Like, I'll stand right on the front row because I battle anxiety and depression. If you are battling anxiety and depression, I want to invite you just to stand where you are. And then, if we will, I'm going to invite some people around, if you know that person, just to come and just pray over them, that they would experience a deep healing. A deep healing. Guys, there is no shame here. There's no guilt. Again, you don't have to be a part of that. And listen, once people stand, you just kind of come around the person you're in. You, you don't, here's what I'm going to tell you. Do not preach a sermon at them. Don't ask them questions. Don't try to fix anything. If you don't know their name, you can ask them their name. All I'm asking is you can pray just a 10-second prayer. Whatever it is, God, I think there's something powerful about that. Part of the law of anxiety and depression is you're a slave. And you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. You're going to feel however I tell you to feel. And I think by standing up, it allows us to say, we're going to break the bonds of that. And I'm not going to, you're not going to make me live in the darkness. You're not going to make me do that. And so, if you want to, I'm going to invite you to stand. If you're experiencing anxiety and depression, let's go ahead. And, and if you want to do that, you can stand right now. And I would invite those who want to come around, those who are standing.
Can we go ahead and do that? If you're close to somebody, go ahead and just kind of gather up around them. I will lead us in a prayer. And while I pray, you pray over the person who is standing. Okay? Give you just a second to do this. Find someone who's standing, please, if you can. Pray over them. And I will pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is here today. Father, we are all your sons and daughters. We are your creation who you love dearly. I know there are many people who are here today who are struggling with wounds. They have been hurt. They are scared. They are lonely. I know that I can put myself in that boat as well, Father. And I do pray that for each person who stood up right now that you will bring deep and lasting healing. That you will give an extra measure of faith. That you will remind them that you love them dearly. That they will not feel shame or guilt over this. God, I pray that you will surround those of us who are struggling with anxiety and depression with a community who loves them and cares for them. And that through that we will get to experience your love in a more tangible way. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask and pray these things. Amen.